Goblins, Brandon here. Uh, if you enjoy what we do and you'd like to help support us create more and maybe even take the podcast to weekly, then the best way right now that you can support us is to head over to patreon.com slash goblinsgrowlers. You can find all the different stuff we do there, one-page dungeons, uh, bonus audio for things, all kinds of stuff. So head on over there, uh, and even if it's just a dollar or you know however much you're comfortable doing, or if you can't put anything toward the Patreon, just tell a friend about it. Tell somebody about the podcast. That's another great way to support us. So, uh, patreon.com slash goblins growlers, uh, and we'll see y'all soon. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Goblins and Growlers podcast. I'm Josh Maltby at Black Cloak DM on the burning wreckage that is Twitter. Uh, and I'm Brandon Dingus at Way of Brandalore on uh twitter and of course this is being recorded on monday november 28th 2022 so if you listen to it in a month or two there may not be a, such a thing as twitter <laughs> anymore <laughs> ah twitter i remember when twitter still existed you know it'll be a huge blessing to me if twitter goes away because that'll be one fewer thing in this world that i have to pay attention to anymore <laughs> One fewer red dot that keeps showing up on my phone to remind me how disconnected I am from everything going on around me. <laughs> Brandon, have you checked the news today? We've got weird news for you in 130 characters or less. Oh, my God. I I am so behind on correspondence of just sort of every <laughs> sort. I've got so many emails from people. I've just been so busy. Sunday morning, I got up at... Uh, I got up at like 6.30 on Sunday morning, and I had made a list for myself the night before of a bunch of uh, people who I needed to follow up with on things. And so I spent an hour and a half on Sunday morning just writing emails to people so I could stop feeling like just a complete jerk because, you know, people will text me, people will email me, and then I just don't respond. I even I texted a couple people over the weekend and said, I will write you an email before monday that <laughs> it is easier for me to type it all out on a keyboard than to respond to you on my phone there is a certain degree of like maybe if you had a texting app on your computer you'd be more likely to respond to people because you wouldn't have to use the tiny keyboard before i switched back to a mac i had paired my android phone with my windows laptop and there's actually an app that i had so I would receive text alerts on my computer and can just respond to them that way. It was glorious. It was glorious. But I don't have Mac. an iPhone, so I can't do it on Mac. Uh, would... I'm, I'm hoping some angel out there will tell me about some sort of cross-platform app that will let me do that. But I have no time to look it up for myself, <laughs> unfortunately. If if you're that angel of mercy that wishes to bring Brandon better convenience to his life and you're like, I'm not joining the uh, ruinous flaming wreckage that is Twitter at this point, you can always reach us on bit.ly slash goblin discord, which is our discord, or uh, you can email us contact at goblins and growlers dot com. Oh, you know, I joked a couple months ago about how I was on Mastodon. Um, just because I got curious about it because people were talking about it. So I, I checked it out. Um, I've seen a bunch of stuff pop up in the last few days. That's just like guide to switching over to Mastodon after, after Twitter. Uh, I read some that were, I'm on a bunch of journalism mailing lists and things like that. And my Facebook feed and my LinkedIn feed are still pretty curated for journalism. So, uh, a couple of folks in sort of the mobile journalism space were talking about that. And one of them put together like this multi-page guide for switching yourself over to Mastodon and all the different uh, decentralized <laughs> servers that you could get on for various things you, that you want to do. It all this is this is how I know I'm old, just because I looked at it. I was like, this is interesting. I should really check this out. And it was just like, no, nope, too many, too many steps, too complicated. I'm going to get lost. I'm not even going to worry about it. I'm not going to worry about it at all. It's the same reason I haven't like modded any of my arcades, really. Because like I have to get a PC and then I have to put um, like a RetroPie or something on it and and wire it up and everything like that. And I'm like, nope, I'll get to it eventually, but it's just <laughs> not a priority right now. I mean, there's also something to be said for you have but so many brain cells in a given day and how you spend them is very precious to you. Yeah, there's also the the what is the what is the cost of your time argument, which yeah. 
which we discussed the other day <laughs> at the yeah. at the official Goblins and Growlers storage unit as we were doing inventories for things. Oh my god. <laughs> I feel like I feel like that's almost been a recurring theme for us for 2022 is, hey, we are individuals with a very limited time at this point. How do we manage that? Yeah, I know. Um, let me let me ask you this as sort of a tenor change for a moment. How was your holiday? It was good. It was good. It was very simple, uh, in part because neither Alex nor her parents had enough kitchen like Alex and I certainly don't have enough kitchen to do a Thanksgiving feast and her parents kitchen is currently being remodeled after having flooded so they also don't have room for a Thanksgiving feast mm -hmm. so we ended up going to a restaurant on Thanksgiving day and doing a three-course luncheon type deal at like 1 p.m. it was fun well, that's cool I went um on Wednesday night, as you well know, because I didn't want to attend a QPR recording because of it. <laughs> uh, I had to drive down to Newport News uh, to Jenna's family uh, and then do Thanksgiving there and then drive back that night uh, because my parents were coming the following day because I cooked Thanksgiving dinner this year. So uh, that went off without a hitch. And I said this aloud to uh, my parents several times. Uh, this is my first time cooking the Thanksgiving meal. This was very easy. I don't understand why so many people get upset and stressed about this. <laughs> well, now, hold on. How many people were you cooking for? Four. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I had ham. I had French cut green beans with bacon. Um, Mom brought a sweet potato casserole and Jenna made mashed potatoes. So those are the only two things I didn't deal with. Um, I made my uh, homemade from scratch mac and cheese with uh, four, four kinds of cheese, uh, baked some rolls. Uh, it was really good all around. I made some stuffing. Uh, everybody was happy with it, as was I. And then Friday, oh, yeah. then Friday, dad and I built a screen porch. <laughs> I mean, there's like you could you could do the oh i'm gonna have a holiday weekend so i'm gonna take it super easy which is kind of what i did mm -hmm. or you can do what you did which is i'm gonna have a holiday weekend so i'm gonna catch up on some of this stuff i've been wanting to get done yeah i didn't catch up on near enough of that stuff which is uh one of the things we're gonna talk about today <laughs> <laughs> yes that's an excellent segue into today's topic yeah that's the mind is... of a, that's the mind of a writer always looking for always looking for that segue <laughs> You gotta hop aboard that Segway so you can ride it all the way into the next topic. Mm -hmm. Today we're going to be talking about writing your TTRPG adventure slash campaign under the pressure of a deadline. Yeah, um, it sucks. <laughs> the pressure <laughs> of a deadline sucks. Um, you know, I'm sure we've all experienced this in our personal campaigns. Uh, you know, that Thursday or Friday or Saturday or whenever is coming up, you know, it's, it's maybe like the previous Thursday or something like that. You're like, ah, this is fine. I'll just, I'll put something together, but you have this grand conception of what you're doing. And you want to have this sort of epic experience that just like, you want to guarantee that people walk away from that game telling stories about how awesome you are and you just sit there and you can't make it happen. Like you're just, you're trying to let it flow and it just doesn't want to come. You've got blockage all over the place and you just, the, you tell yourself, fine, I've got several days to get this done. It's not a big deal. You go do something else to clear your head. You take a walk, you play some video games, something like that. Um, you come back, you maybe get a little bit, a little bit more done, but you know, then somebody calls you and that and there's something you got to deal with. And then somebody comes home and you're you no longer have sort of your your solitude to focus, which is your excuse. Like, oh, I can't get this done because, you know, somebody else is here clomping around and I can't I can't sit down and focus or anything like that. And, you know, all of a sudden it's like a couple it's like a day or two before and you're like, oh, wow, what am I going to do? And then the panic uh, sets in. And it's the kind of panic you haven't felt since like high school or college when the big paper is due or something like that. 
And then you're just paralyzed by the anxiety. And I always think about an episode of 30 Rock. Uh, I forget the details of which, but there was something going on. And like Liz Lemon couldn't, she couldn't be managing the show. And uh, Jack told her, just delegate. It'll get done. You have a staff of writers. And she went to take care of her thing. And then, you know, everything just sort of blew up. And then all of a sudden it's show night and everybody's like, no, it's fine. It's going to be fine. And then the show goes live and the curtain opens and there's just a set with no people on it. And she's like, oh, we forgot to write the episode (laughs) or something. (laughs) And that's that's how I feel sometimes. Like I I have the nightmare sometimes that like, oh, it's going to be time for the game. And I actually haven't written anything. And there's there's a long history of that with me, of that fear. And it it's really difficult, I think, especially when you put that kind of pressure on yourself to sit down and force yourself to create like just writing is hard in general. Um, So this episode, I guess, is going to be talking a little bit about just writing in general and writing in sort of uh, a a one hour or a three hour adventure structure, essentially. Yeah. I mean, a lot of our advice is going to be framed around writing a three hour adventure because that's the thing we do the most writing of. Yeah, I guess I guess I don't mean to interrupt, but I guess just for the sake of context, it it would be good for us to sort of reiterate how this whole thing started since it's been a hot year or two since we were doing it regularly. (laughs) I think that's reasonable, but I was I was just going to say we can frame it using our personal experience. And then if that advice helps you in general writing practice, that's great. Go for it. Like, who am I to say that we're giving bad advice? Exactly, exactly. But uh, you can go ahead and give the recap for anybody who may be unfamiliar. So kind of the way all of this starts, where Brandon and I are speaking from experience of is... Gosh, that was 2018. So four years ago now that we Mm -hmm. first started running games on a regular basis. And uh, some of you may recall the original Sunken Tomb Adventures, which were something that Brandon had been noodling on for months, but had only started really committing to paper. What, like two weeks, three weeks, a month before the first night we were going to run it? So... To, as a way of a little bit more backstory, you know, Goblins and Growlers started as folks just meeting at a bookstore and then later a hostel to just get together and play pickup D&D. And then I said, oh, I bet we could maybe make some money off this <laughs> or at least or at least do it in a way to draw bigger crowds. So I, I cold called a couple of breweries and uh, tried, had partnered with them. And it wasn't until I had it locked in with the first brewery that I'm like, okay, now I will invest the time into writing this idea. Uh, Cause I didn't want to just write it and then have nothing motivating me for it. Well, and at the time you were really caught up on the idea of writing the adventures in almost the exact same sort of language style as some of the old modules that we really liked, like Earthshaker or like barrier to the expedition peaks or Wait, I've got that backwards. Expedition to the Barrier Peaks. I like Barrier or... to the Expedition Peaks. The party just <laughs> the party shows up at this giant wall and they have to figure out how to get through it. <laughs> we, we really want to go to these Expedition Peaks, but this wall is so big. How will we how will we ever afford it? Are, are you Jerry Seinfeld? Why is this wall so big? What's the deal with this wall? What's the deal with trail rations? Uh, <laughs> no, so you had like you had a bunch of like really, really minute detail in the adventure, which uh, we gave you no end of nonsense over because we were like, Brandon, no one is going to be paying attention to any of these like really minute details. That's part of creating a living world, Josh. You have to. <laughs> You have to you have to create all the details that nobody nobody's going to find because it's like this. It's the Steve Jobs theory, uh, because when Steve Jobs was overseeing the design of the iMac in the early 2000s, he was working with uh, uh, an engineer 
and he told the engineer, no, don't do it that way. Do it this way. And he said, that's going to take longer. And this way will work just as fine. Nobody's going to know. And Steve Jobs said, I'll know. I, there's a quote from the Belgarian where it's like, oh, why would you do such hard work on the underside of that wagon? Like, you're never going to see the underside of that wagon. No one's ever going to see the underside of that wagon. And the blacksmith is like, yeah, but every time I see that wagon go past on its way to town, mm -hmm. I'll know. I'll know. Steve Jobs is the blacksmith. <laughs> um, I, I enjoyed the minutia from a purely looking into the world of Brandon's mind standpoint. Uh-huh. But it was it was also a lot to read for that first adventure. Because I was really like, was. dang, like this is involved. I didn't even have to run that one. Yeah, it was it was a lot. Um, I perhaps bit off a little more than I could chew on that one because it was unsustainable. Because after that initial like four session run at that brewery, which I think was biweekly over the course of two months, um, I was like, oh, this was really successful. And now I don't have the next thing because I've been working on the other thing for a while. Like I had it all sort of like sketched out even though i hadn't sat down and written it i remember you got like one or two more arcs through mm -hmm. kind of flying by the seat of your pants a little bit and then you were like josh what if what if you started writing the next thing before yeah. i've finished writing the current thing yeah let me tell you where this is going and you can just <laughs> you can just pick it up and start from there and I think that was, I'm trying to remember what all had been going on in the game universe. I think that was around the time that they start traveling with Emerin, who's a mysterious woman from a crashed ship mm -hmm. that you were kind of going for a little bit of a spell jammer vibe, which yeah. I now have significantly greater appreciation for. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That was after that was after the um, the the bomb went off under the city. Yeah. Yeah. And then then we went to another planet. I uh, think I think I ended up writing the bomb going off under the city and going to the other planet because I was like, well, I want to do kind of a Stargate thing. And you're like, that sounds great. Just you. You go for it. I believe in you. <laughs> Cut you it. have the power. It. <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> I mean, there was a lot of. Back in those days, you and I would spend a lot of time sitting together and kind of brainstorming as far as where things were going. Mm -hmm. But the actual writing process was basically you and I off in our own little writer's room, just hammering everything together as rapidly as we could, because we learned very quickly that if you're not doing that and you're trying to run every other week a brand new adventure. Yeah, it's a lot. Well, yeah, because that's the thing, because one of the one of the hallmarks of how we've always done this is we write our own content like anybody coming to one of our events can be guaranteed they've not played this before unless we decide we're going to run an old adventure at a new location. Uh, but still, it's not something that anybody's probably ever gone into a bookstore and bought or anything like that. Um, exactly. So we created in a way <laughs> we created our own personal hell because we said. <laughs> We're going to just run all original content for this. And then we were left with the responsibility to produce that. Yeah, we, we, <laughs> we made the claim we're only running all original content well before we had written all that much all original content. Yeah. And I mean, fortunately, now we've got a pretty decent library of things and we've been able to repurpose that for like running games at conventions and, and stuff like that. So we can continue to say like we can be in the middle of North Carolina and we're like, hey, you're going to play an adventure you've never played before, even though we wrote it three years ago. <laughs> <laughs> well, and we also have the benefit of now that we've made a little bit of money, we can pay writers and artists to write things and draw things for us that we can then release to folks. Mm -hmm. Obligatory. Do not send unsolicited submissions. <laughs> <laughs> they will not be opened. <laughs> Oh, my word. Yeah, yeah, we we have a catalog of folks that we are talking to. It's the the line is kind of hard to jump into. Well, join the discord at bit.ly slash goblin discord 
and uh, then you can get in line. Hell yeah. Yeah. But so, no, so let's, with that, with all of that kind of as context, I would love to start getting into some of the things that we did very early that we think were drastic mistakes. I think we've covered one of those, which is committing to a biweekly release schedule when you've really only planned out about four adventures. Oh, and at the time, you know, I was basically my own boss. I was working at the newspaper. I made my own hours. I went in at usually about 10 in the morning. I left usually around 6, 6.30, something like that. So it wasn't the worst thing in the world for me to stay up till 1 or 2 in the morning trying to write something. It very much felt like college because... I'm sure everybody sort of knows that feeling where it gets to be about like midnight and you realize you still have a couple of hours to go before this is done. And your brain is desperately trying to tell you to shut, shut it down. Like you just, you can't keep doing this and instinct kind of takes over a little bit and you lie to yourself and you say, well, I'll just get up early in the morning and work on this some more. But I was able to, you know, on the day before the, the game, you know, work until two, two thirty in the morning, get it ready, push it out to everyone, uh, and then go to sleep and then just show up <laughs> later that night and help run the game. But I was exhausted and it usually took me a day or so to recover from that. And it just, you know, it was it was it was not healthy in any way, emotionally, <laughs> physically, uh, mentally. There was it was unsustainable. It was it was like being fueled by crack cocaine, but writing. Crack writing. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But, you know, like you said, we identified pretty, cause, I mean, you ran into the same thing after you started helping is because we would trade off stuff and you'd be like, ah, like, and just working on it until day of or something like that. Uh, and we were, we were going too hard because we were trying to create all those details for everybody. And we were modeling way too much off of um, published adventures, like from, you know, 80s and 90s TSR uh, modules and things like that. Well, I think for for me, at the very least, the impression that I had was that I needed to create something that someone could walk in, basically ingest what I had written and then repeat it out to the table and be able to run an adventure that way. Mm -hmm. And I I was like, OK, I cannot anticipate that anyone will have the creative drive to be doing a little bit of their own thing at their table. Mm -hmm. And what I learned very quickly is that literally no one but me was running my adventure the way I had written it because no one but me thought exactly the way I do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and we learned, especially after the Discord really got rolling, bit.ly slash goblin discord, that after, you know, after the events, people would compare notes in Discord. Like, oh, what happened at your table? What happened at your table? Because, you know, we'd have like seven, eight tables running the same adventure but also not the same adventure. <laughs> and uh, I think that's when we sort of realized, oh, like it's going to deviate anyway. Um, so there's not going to be any sort of canon canonical storyline for this. Now, just for the sake of simplicity, we did have canonical storylines because at the beginning of like session three, for example, there would be a thing that said in the adventure, it would say like, now, regardless of what happened at your table two weeks ago, here is here is the actual events as recorded in the world that happened for that. Uh, just because Here's because players would change, um, people may be playing with a different game master. There was no way to keep that kind of consistency long term. So we just made this concession to like, yeah, OK, it's just it's just whatever. Continuity changes. Yeah, it's a little bit of like when you realize how little the continuity matters at any individual table, mm -hmm. you stop holding such a tight grip on it. Yeah. And I think if at the point that we write those books as adventure books, 
that have like kind of an overarching plot, I suspect will maintain a lot of the plot elements to them. Mm -hmm. But I also think that we're going to loosen up a lot on the specifics of things because what I learned, uh, and this was probably the most difficult GMing I've ever done is that the way that Alan runs a table is that he writes about six bullet points and then he uses them and that's it. That's, that's mm -hmm. all he's done from there. He, he just goes. Yeah. Alon actually, his his table running philosophy, I have tried to learn from it um, because it's very much more predicated on sort of cinematic style running uh, where he just sort of almost like whose line is it anyway? He takes suggestions from the audience, his <laughs> players and rolls with it. And I've incorporated a lot more of that into what I'm doing. And I think some of it comes from embracing that mentality of like kill your darlings. Um you know, I, I wrote this thing and it's dumb and it's not perfect. So I should just embrace the fact that it's dumb and it's not perfect and just let other people have fun with it. And that's that was really sort of the turning point for me in the writing is um, the biggest sort of revelation that I had was that I was working too hard because I realized after, you know, submitting and running what I felt like were a couple of sort of subpar installments. I can't even remember what they were at this point, but realizing that everybody had a great time, like, cause I was really fighting the imposter syndrome as a game writer at the time, but realizing everybody super enjoyed it. Uh, nobody was complaining. They didn't have any fun. Nobody was complaining that it wasn't a serious adventure or anything like that. And I realized like, Oh, okay. You know, we can, we can let folks just do what they want. And it got to the point where some of the folks who played at my table would be like, well, how about if we do this? What if this is the situation? I'd be like, sure, I want to see where this goes. That's fine with me. And all you have to do is just use your skill as a storyteller and a leader, really, because that's what you're doing when you're when you're running a table is you start at point A and you can take whichever path you want as long as you end up at point B. Um, it doesn't right. it doesn't have to be prescripted. We started to refer to it based on some game publishing advice from I think it was some folks behind Pathfinder that Alan had talked to at Dragon Con. Yeah. Who had been like, you are not writing an adventure. You are writing your own game yeah. every week and then running that. And so what you need to think of it as is a spine of a story that has branches that run off of it. And then as long as those branches always come back around to the spine, it's fine. Where, wherever you go doesn't really matter because you've always got the spine to come back to. Mm -hmm. And having that sort of realization, I think, is where once you and I leaned into that, that's where the adventures started getting kind of absurd and that's how, that's how liar also... was born <laughs> yeah liar zax the uh broke lich who just was trying to get his lair going and ran out of financing about two-thirds of the way there yeah and then he had a get rich quick scheme for it <laughs> and then it was converted into a really cheap theme park uh which uh, I, I feel like when I ran that uh, that installment, uh, if you're from southern West Virginia, you're familiar with Camden Park. And that was where I drew most of my my inspiration for that. Um, and then we've got Liar's Act Part Three that we keep threatening to write, um, but just don't have time for right now. Yeah, I am going to write it at some point. It's going to happen. It just hasn't yet. It will happen. Yeah, but. But I think having that realization that your party can do kind of whatever they want as long as they end up back at your spine was something huge for me as revelations go, because that changes how I look at running a campaign in the first place. Like mm -hmm. I've if my party before that re revelation wanted to have, you know, oh, we're going to go off the beaten path and we're going to go wander off into these woods and see what's out there. And I haven't written anything for that. Then immediately I'm like, oh, no. Oh, I'm completely unprepared. Like They're going to have a terrible time because I don't have anything ready for them. When in reality, like 
I can reflavor stuff that I've already written. I can borrow things from other sections of the story or the campaign. I can kind of build the tracks as I'm going along, as Alex likes to call it. And there's options for me to be flexible and to let my party feel like what they're doing matters and the choices they're making are influential as to how the story goes without completely shooting myself in the foot by being like, it's an open sandbox world. You can go wherever you want and do whatever you want, because I definitely have an unlimited amount of time to write down all of these things. Yeah, I I think for me, um, the thing that I found most helpful for that was I would create maybe like five bullet points of random encounters and they weren't like combat encounters. It was just like, here's the thing that happens. Here's somebody you run into. Um, I ended up having just a whole side quest about an old mine that the players went into at one point and they found like an old, uh, like 1840s style miner in there. And he had like some quest, like some adventure relevant item. Uh, but it was just part of a random side quest. So if they hadn't gone in there, they wouldn't have had it. But they also could have completed the adventure just fine if they didn't have it. Um, but I have, you know, I had a lot of fear tied up in that whole idea of, well, what if they zig when I need them to zag? Just because like the first time I tr ever tried to DM was when I was like 15 or 16. And I just thought I was a, an amazing pers creative person. So I didn't plan anything and figured I would just do an ex tempore. And it was uh, awful. It was it was terrible <laughs> like <laughs> my, my friends in that group banned me from dming again um Aww. well yeah and now it, it's just funny because i've you know through goblins and growlers i inserted myself into a position that makes me very uncomfortable uh which is you know being oh like being creative out in the open and putting my work out there and having people react to it in real time which is a terrifying thing um, but eventually I got comfortable with it and learned to roll with it. And it's like, it's helped me in so many other facets of my life because I'm not afraid to essentially fail publicly anymore. Yeah. I mean, it's, Alan has often described it as we have taken the crash course in becoming the best GMs as possible, as quickly as possible by running just a ludicrous number of games and almost constantly for some strangers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I Which mean, is, you, it's you, challenging. Yeah. You learn how to deal with people you never expected to deal with. Like when I had to, I was uh, GMing a table at GalaxyCon several years ago. And the people like a dad and his son were part of my table. And the son just, he did not want to take, I'm saying he didn't want to take it seriously. And by that, I mean, he didn't, he didn't want to be in the game with the spirit with which everybody else was in the game. Like, I, I don't mean you need to sit there and take it seriously, but his dad kept apologizing for him. But, you know, I started talking back to him. I started, you know, just being like, no, we're not going to do that. Uh, you know, if you want to do that, fine, but there's going to be consequences to it. And just when you're, there are times when you're running an adventure, especially for strangers. And this is something that we learned. Where And this has happened to every one of us, I think, who, who does GMing for Goblins and Growlers. Most likely it's been at a convention because the people who come to our events are the folks who, who are really tight in the community. But you, within 10 minutes, you can just acknowledge to yourself that I am not going to have a good time for the next three hours running this. And you just have to charge through it as best you can. And then it becomes a game for yourself where you try to entertain yourself while you're trying to entertain these people and you make a game of dealing with the player who's not engaged or they're engaged in an unhealthy way for the dynamic of the group or something like that. I think, I think we are tangenting a little bit into yeah. Yeah. Uh, general GMing advice as opposed to writing advice, mm -hmm. but it kind of to spin that back to the writing aspect there's going to be people who don't want to engage with whatever content you've created. And at that point, you have to determine, have I created the wrong content for my table or have I presented it in a manner that makes it seem less fun than it is? Or like, where was the misstep here? Because 
if it's if someone at your table is not having a good time, something's going on there. And maybe it's a matter of, you know, pulling that person aside and being like, hey, what were you trying to get out of tonight? And that's a lot easier at a home game than it is mm-hmm. at a convention, because no one wants to be pulled aside by a complete stranger at a convention to have a conversation about the game they were hoping to play tonight. Yeah. Not yeah. least of which when their dad is sitting there watching all of this happen. Yeah. But I mean, you know, <laughs> on the flip side, I've run some great games at conventions where I made immediate friends with the people at, at, at my table. Um, like, you know, the first time we ever met Inver, it was <laughs> at what at a table at Galaxy Con. <laughs> so, yeah, you can have some really like quality friendships uh, come from these things. But that's not always going to happen. And, you know, like like I was talking about, you have to be unafraid to fail creatively and openly in these situations. Yeah. I think I think that's a little bit going back to the concept of kill your darlings. Like uh, the number of times you or I wrote something that we thought was really clever and really cool. And then the table com- either completely ignored it, glossed over it or just decided not to engage with it. They were like, I see what you're doing mm-hmm. and I don't want to. So I'm not gonna. And just like, there's a little bit of that, like at the end of the day, I always, anytime that happened at one of my tables, I'd be like, but, but I made it for you. Yeah. All of this for you. You owe, you owe me gratitude. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> but grand scale, it's like, does it really matter if they didn't take the one plot hook that I put in there for this one thing that I thought would be really cool and they decided wouldn't? Or is it better to just kind of take that concept and either rework it into something else that might be more fun and more engaging or scrap it all together? Maybe it's not the right fit for the group I'm playing with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I want to make sure we carve out some time to talk about some of the strategies that we came up with to sort of aid in our speed writing, essentially. Um, and the the first one of those was planning our arcs. Because um, I think there's a lot of people, present company included, who will sit down and write an adventure and just want to get to the end of that session. Like they're buying if I if I can just get to the end of this session with my writing, have a stopping point there, then I will buy myself the time to create the rest of this story. It ends up feeling like you're fighting an active inferno, but a single uh, pocket size fire extinguisher. Yeah, it's it's impossible to create something cohesive. If you do that, you have to have an end game in mind. And I remember some of those days when we first started to nail down our process for things where we would sit down and be like, okay, and we would essentially storyboard it and be like, all right, here's what's happening in part three. And then by the end of part four, we need to be here and then part five and then part six. And then that way we could each take two of them and write them concurrently and know where it was going to end up. And I mean, that's handy if you have a writing partner, but if you don't, it's handy because you at least know what you're writing toward and you can live edit while you're doing it, uh, as long as you know what the end goal is. So to me, that was the most important thing. Like, and it came, it, it also came from like my newspaper career too, because so many times you walk into a budget meeting for the, for that, for the next day's paper at like four o'clock in the afternoon. And you're like, oh my God, what's our centerpiece going to be? Well, we didn't we don't know because we didn't plan it. <laughs> and it wasn't because breaking news overtook it. It's just because we didn't plan for it. We just figured, ah, the universe will provide. Yeah. And you can't trust the universe because the universe is a damn liar. <laughs> <laughs> kind of in that vein, one of the big things I picked up on was that if I provide too many NPCs and I provide too much dialogue for those NPCs or I provide too much scene setting for like, oh, yeah, I want this to be like a really sweeping vista thing that's really interesting for everyone to look at. It's it's a little bit of an audio medium, guys. 
it's uh you you got to make sure that whatever they're getting into that not only can they envision it but that it's engaging to interact with and so what i ended up doing was writing a lot less about the actual like oh well it's got 12 sconces and each sconce has a tapered wax candle that much of the wax has dripped down below the sconce to show that these candles get replenished regularly. None of that matters. My party Mm -hmm. doesn't care about any of that 95% of the time. If I can give them a vibe for a space, they'll fill in all the blanks for me. And if anybody wants more detail, sometimes I'll turn that creative control over to my table because I'll be like, okay, so here's, we're entering into this sacred luminous library like space. There's a lot of arcane energy in the air that almost hums as you enter and you can smell old musty tomes throughout the air. And then they're like, well, what do the, are there windows? And I'm like, you know, I, I think there are windows. What do you think windows in a space like this would look like? Mm -hmm. And then, Not only are you building a world, but you're building a world together. And guess what? It's a lot easier to get people invested and engaged if they're helping you build the thing that you're all doing together. Mm -hmm. I have two I have two things to say to that. The first is um, detail leads to derail. Um, If you spend so much time describing a room down to the most minute feature of it, People are going to presume that because you took the time to do that, there is a significance associated with all that detail in the room that is 100% not there. And they will, they will spend an hour searching for a switch or a trap or a door or something like that that just isn't there. The number of times I've talked about a room in kind of vague detail and then been like, Oh, and there's like this beautiful mahogany dresser that has like this kind of inlay, mostly for fun for me, because Mm -hmm. I wanted to describe a dresser. And then the party is like, oh, my God, the dresser. There's something about the dresser. We need to dismantle it board by board to determine its secrets. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And there's two ways you can deal with that. Um, You can. Well, I guess there's a couple of ways you can deal with that. The first is. You tell them, no, there's nothing significant about this, which <laughs> takes everybody out of the game and it's not fun. Uh, two, you can invent something interesting about it. Like maybe the dresser has a hidden compartment that's got like a silver dagger or something like that. And it throw them, throw them a bone. It's nothing fancy, but it's also not nothing. And the third thing is it's a mimic. Um, that's <laughs> that's that's always a winner if they just won't stop harping on something. It's a mimic. Take note, anybody who plays at my table. (laughs) (laughs) I have definitely had players who want to search every room for traps and secrets and secret doors, Mm -hmm. which is always just a ton of fun when every time they enter a room, they're like, I want to check for traps and secrets and secret doors. And it's like, dude, it's a hallway. I just want you to get to the throne room already. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, like there's a little bit of the temptation to always throw them a bone just so that, you know, they're Mm -hmm. having fun with it. It's something that is engaging for them. There's also a little bit of I don't want there to be a secret in every room they enter. And therefore, I can't always throw them a bone. Mm -hmm. It's a a balancing act. I try to write in enough secrets to keep things interesting and not let them derail things for too long if there's nothing interesting in there. By basically going, instead of saying, how do you search the room? I say, go ahead and roll investigation for me. Okay. You search the room really thoroughly. I mean, very, very thoroughly. You don't find anything. And they're like, but I got a nat 20. And I'm like, this is the fourth room you've done this in. And I gave you things in the last three. You don't just keep getting free gear, homie. Yeah. Nat 20 doesn't mean you manifest something out of nothing. (laughs) If there's nothing there, there's still nothing there. But I will I will 100 percent not write in specific things that I think would be solutions to puzzles. And then if somebody's like, what if there was like a bucket in this room? And I'm like, roll for it, roll for it, roll investigation. You may very well find a bucket. 
And if you don't find a bucket, maybe you'll find something bucket-like mm -hmm. that you can use. A galosh. Who's to say? But, yeah, like, but my advice there, like I said, is uh, detail leads to derail. So if you find yourself really wanting to describe a dresser, you can just say it's it appears to be a very well-made solid wood mahogany dresser. But if you start calling it a well-made solid wood mahogany dresser with a with a marble inlay at the top and <laughs> and ivory poles on the drawer, then all of a sudden something is suspicious. Oh, you got to watch that tone too. the instant you said marble inlay. I was like, oh, my God. Yeah, there's something in that marble inlay. I can feel it. Yeah. Brandon's Brandon's trying to throw me hints. He's he's trying to lead me there. Mm -hmm. He knows I'm a big dummy. He's helping me out. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, that's that to me. That to me is one of the one of my least favorite ways to get a game off track is just having people spend forever searching for something that's not there. <laughs> well, and the other thing with writing that much detail is that since you don't need that much detail to get folks kind of into the space and into the zone of the space. Mm -hmm. You're spending more time focused on, let me describe this dresser in really intricate detail that is actually unimportant mm -hmm. when uh, you've got an adventure coming up in the next 48 hours that you still haven't finished writing. And I, I am personally of the opinion, at the very least for me, that this happens the most often when I'm trying to procrastinate even while I'm writing. Mm hmm. Yeah, because you like, feel like you're doing something. I don't know how I want this to end up, and I'm not confident in the the couple of decisions I have made. So I'm going to spend 30 minutes writing about this dresser so that I can put off the thing I'm actually afraid of. Yeah. Um, I want to talk about another uh, tool that we've start, that we've used as a way to help streamline our process, and that is formatting and templating. Oh, my God. Yes. And that's I mean, I come from a content background, so that's almost like uh, super dirty words for me. <laughs> but it doesn't have to be a dirty word. It can be a clean, helpful word, um, especially if you think of it in terms of formatting and not templating, because essentially what we did was develop a modular structure for the adventures so we could shift stuff around, like have a section of the story that we labeled exposition and then have another one labeled travel, another one combat encounter, another one, you know, NPC interaction. And we could just move those chunks around to help organize the structure of the story. And that way it created parameters for us to write with where it's like, okay, we're going to, we're going to write a couple of paragraphs of exposition. Then we're going to get into the quest being given and we write that and then they have to travel to the place where the MacGuffin is. And then they, there's an obstacle that prevents them from getting the MacGuffin. Um, and it sounds really hollow when you describe it like that. But once you, once you essentially put the clothes on it uh, and write right around that structure, it's imperceptible because that's what storytelling is. Yeah. I mean, I also find it easier to create when I've got a little bit, just a little bit of structure that I have to create within. Mm -hmm. um, I know this doesn't apply to everybody, but I find it incredibly helpful to be like, here's my template. Here's how much space I have to write this adventure. So say it's three pages, five pages, whatever it is. And I'm going to do it in two columns. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to have enough room in the margins for if I need to make any specific DMs notes to folks. And that's it. Like you're you're off to the races. And I find it a lot simpler to be like, OK, here's where I'm at and here's where I'm trying to get to. Mm -hmm. And I have to do it within this amount of space, because then if I start going off on a tangent about something that maybe isn't engaging, maybe is interesting, but also probably isn't. Mm -hmm. then I can be like, you know what? I don't have room for this here. Mm -hmm. I like this idea, but I'm going to wait until I've got something better fleshed out to actually implement it. 
and just kind of copy and paste it out to, to a different document and then just keep going. Mm-hmm. And it kept me a lot from getting caught up in those issues where I'm like, I want to make this work, but I can't think of how. Because I was like, you know what? I don't have room to make this work here anyway, the way I think I would want it to. Mm-hmm. So and we ditch it. And we had the advantage, too, of knowing that, you know, we got to make this work in about three hours, uh, which, honest to God, if I can give any advice to anybody about writing a session for their game, it's give yourself a time deadline on how long you want it to go, because it's very easy to be like, well, we'll just play until we're done, until everybody's tired. No, set it up for like three, four hours. That's about the max attention span you're going to get from folks being fully bought in to the whole thing. Um, and we do it and, you know, ha- even have like a bathroom break in the middle. But I know that I can write a three hour adventure by having a little exposition, sending them somewhere to get a thing, having a little dungeon they have to go through, having two encounters, whether they're both combat encounters or whether one is like a lengthy NPC interaction or or something like that. And, uh, you know, our, our GMs, too, they know the timing as well. Like, you know, if it's if it's nine o'clock. And you haven't gotten to the second combat encounter yet. Maybe you need to, in your head, figure out how to write around that second encounter. So you can just skip skip directly to where you need to go. Um, and then you can always on, save that for later. On kind of that note, um, I would encourage folks, if you are going to run, even if you're going to run a six or an eight hour session, like that's your plan is, hey, we everybody gets together Saturday afternoon, we hang out all day and we just play TTRPGs, write them uh, as like two hour segments, Mm -hmm. because then when you're running a three hour segment, first of all, you've got room to play. So you're never stressed out about how long it's taking. Thing number two, you can create really satisfying arcs in between the spaces. So if you've got you know, let's say your group traditionally does a bathroom break at about the two and a half, three hour mark. You can time that bathroom break with your adventure to be like, ah, okay, here's my cliffhanger. And we're going to take a break for 30 minutes and we'll come back to it. And everybody's going to be just a buzz with like, what's good. Oh my gosh, what's going mm-hmm. on? Like, I'm, I'm excited to get back in there. And like, well, they're all a buzz. You can be refining your notes just a little bit, taking a breather prepping yourself for the next section, all of those sorts of things. And you've written it in such a way, let's say you do an eight hour day and you write three, two hour segments and you're like, oh, well, it's only six hours of content. Like maybe they'll run right through it. Odds are good. You can find a way to extend out that content very easily. It's a lot harder to get more content compact. Right. Because that also way- then also you've wasted it. Exactly. It's way easier to stretch content than it is to compact content. Uh, That'll save you a lot of time for writing. And then you can create kind of those narrative arcs. So you've got satisfying breakpoints, satisfying middle grounds. You've got nice pause points for when people want to jump up and grab a snack or use the bathroom or whatever it may be. It's it's helped so, so much thinking about adventures in those blocks of time. Because all of a sudden, you're not looking at the adventure as, well, we're just going to run it until, you know, hopefully we get to this thing that I really want to do. You're looking at it as, here's how much time we've got. Mm -hmm. And here's how much time I think this is going to take. And I'm going to work in a little bit of extra time because I know, you know, my group gets caught up when it comes to talking to NPCs. So this Mm -hmm. tavern encounter that I've got, I think it's going to take about 15 minutes, but there's a decent chance it takes 45. Yeah. Giving That's fine. Yourself, Flex giving, it. Giving yourself deadlines and, and timing is this, the same thing as giving yourself a structure to work within. Um, like I, I run a team of editors professionally and I always tell them like, you know, we, we can never be perfect. All we can do is the best we can in the time we have. So I tell them like, if you're jumping into a story and you think it's going to be kind of a bear to edit, just hop into your Outlook calendar and mark off maybe like 45 minutes. And then when you get about 30 minutes in and realize you have about 15 left, then you really know what you need to focus on. You know, it it, it really helps you zero in on what the major issues are and what you need to accomplish within a small frame of frame of time. And talking, going back to what you're talking about, about like satisfying breakpoints and things, 
like one of the reasons that that's so important for us is just because of the way we run events and write our original content for the events is we do it so people can drop in and out. Like maybe you didn't come to part one of the adventure, but you come to part two and it has a quick little recap of whatever happened in part one. If you're just there for that part two, we want that to be a satisfying experience for you. And satisfying experiences have a beginning, a middle and an end. And you can have multiple beginnings, middles and ends throughout an adventure because you're just building up to something and then you hit a climax and then you have another beginning, middle and end. That's sort of the, the denouement of the story that takes you out of it. And maybe that takes like six sessions or something like that. But each one needs to exist independently with its own story structure in order to make it satisfying, especially if you've got folks who dip in and out of your personal game, which is what happens to everybody when you get to be an adult and you're still trying to play D&D or other TTRPGs are available. Yeah, exactly. And it, I think a big part of that is also if you have that flexibility built into your game and you've got the ability for people to jump in and jump out, I find that people are a lot more inclined to jump in when they actually can, because they don't feel like they're letting folks down when mm -hmm. they jump out because, you know, life happens, y'all. Mm -hmm. Like it's the the big conversation is always how do we get this game scheduled for all of our friends? The thing is, if you're running the game regardless, a lot of people are going to show up. And if there's no judgment when they don't show up, then there's not going to be any like there's not going to yeah. be any issue. You can always find a couple more players who, you know, maybe you've only got room for five at your table. Maybe you've got room for eight, however you like to run. Uh, it's you just have it flexible for everybody because missing games sucks enough as it is. And mm -hmm. that's a lot of the principle that we write these things on is that. We've got the spine, yes, and we've got the the kind of like ribs that run around the spine. You don't have to be on any of those individual branches to get a general idea of the spine. And we usually try to build in a little bit of a recap to every adventure so that folks who haven't been with us for a month, two mm -hmm. months, three months, they can still jump in and still have a good time, even if they don't get the overarching story. Mm -hmm. And it's... Um... Oh, I lost my train of thought. Hang on, I'm going to find it. Oh, I remember what I was going to say. Uh, you know, it's it's easy to look at stories about these like D&D &D games that went on for like 10 years. Um, I think the record now I saw the story about it on Polygon or something. It's like, oh, it's been going on for like 40 years or something like that. These guys have been playing it since they were like 10 or 12 years old or something. Um, but that is the exception, not the rule. And also, it's almost like kind of a gatekeeping sort of thing. If we keep thinking that's what real quote unquote D&D &D or gaming is playing in these never ending, consistently long, you know, overarching stories. Um, I'm not saying anybody's doing it intentionally, but like if that's what you think D&D &D is, you don't think it's like shorter more digestible sessions, because I think the last like I heard a statistic once and I don't know if it's true. So uh, don't at me, but like that, the average the average campaign lasts like six or seven sessions now before people's schedules take over. So, you know, reconceptualize what a satisfying gaming experience is. It's telling a like one close ended story. It's like British television, you know, like they'll have you know, a couple or two or, you know, a couple or three short seasons of a show. And then that's it. Um, because they had a story, they told the story and now the story's done. Um, embrace that philosophy with your with your gaming, because the characters can continue to go on and do other things. Maybe the party can break up or shift or change. Some people can drop out of it. Some people can join it. But you can still keep telling stories. It just doesn't have to be the same continuing story. Because really, over the course of your life, you're going to get involved in a whole bunch of different stuff. And it's not going to be just one through line. Um, and maybe that, maybe that doesn't sound epic enough, but it could all build to something epic. They could be installments in an overarching story that pays off later. 
but you don't have to have been there from the beginning to appreciate it. No. And I, I also think when you're looking at it that way, it makes it a lot easier to write because you, you don't have to worry about, I mean, you've got a little bit like, here's my big plot. Like, here's what I'm trying to accomplish long term with this campaign so that I can plan forward and set little little breadcrumb trails that possibly the people who attend more of the sessions can follow. But honestly, if you're writing these smaller, more episodic adventures, you yourself can focus on what's creatively interesting to you in that moment. And as long as the adventure feels cohesive, it doesn't have to make quite as much sense in your broader world. You know, your broader world can have a little bit more flexibility to it because you're writing smaller adventures and your your theming basically can be from adventure to adventure to adventure. So in the spirit of talking about shorter, more episodic installments, <laughs> we've been going for about an hour now and I think we probably ought to start wrapping it up. Um, I would like, though, to, for us to have like another conversation, just generally talking about like story structure and how you can apply stuff like Hero's Journey and things like that to this kind of storytelling where you don't have the luxury of a protagonist that you control. You know what I think would be uh, tremendous would be if our audience submit to us maybe some questions that you have about writing on a deadline. And I mean, even added some of your own tips and tricks for writing at home. Yeah, be sure to, uh, yeah, Josh, be sure to put that in the Discord too. Um, oh, yeah. That Discord, by the way, is bit.ly slash goblin Discord. Um, but yeah, let's start wrapping this up. And uh, hopefully by the time we record the uh, follow up episode to this, we'll have uh, some responses from folks. You know, you can also get us contact at goblinsandgrowlers.com, uh, Twitter, Instagram. Uh, you know, at Goblins Growlers, uh, at Wave Brandalore, at Black Cloak DM, maybe on Twitter. Uh, and, you know, well, one of these days we'll get Mastodon figured out. But, uh, you know, until then we have Meta. So you can get us on uh, Instagram or Facebook. So <laughs> as well. Uh, Goblins. Ugh, Gob yeah, Goblins and Growlers on Facebook and Goblins Growlers on Instagram. That sounds correct. Yeah. Um, uh, in, in terms of news and where we're going to pop up next, um, keep an eye if you're in the D.C. area or within driving distance of the D.C. area. In some way, shape or form, we will be at MAGFest uh, in January of 2023 uh, doing panels and such and probably having a booth as well. Yeah, I believe that is January 5th, 6th, 7th and 8th. Mm hmm. And then. If you are in the North Carolina, the Charlotte, North Carolina area, the following week, some of us, not me, but some of us will be down <laughs> at Ichiban Con um, just outside Charlotte. Um, of course, which is, I believe, January 13th, 14th, the following and 15th. weekend. <laughs> yeah, the following weekend. Um, of course, we are uh, great friends of the Charlotte area, having been to Queen City Anime Con many times and really love it down there. Uh, but I think Alon is going to be spearheading that convention experience at Ichiban Con. Um, what else? What other news do we have? Um, you know, I am running a little bit blank. I'm trying to think this episode is going to come out on the 5th. So if we haven't sold out already, there's tickets available for our game upcoming on the 15th at garden grove that's right we're back at garden grove baby if you're listening to this somewhere not in metropolitan richmond virginia uh that is a brewery located in Carytown in richmond virginia we have a global audience josh you have to keep that in mind i sometimes don't think about the global audience because so much of what goblins and growlers does is somewhere in the Maryland to North Carolina range. We're we're very much we're mid Atlantic. We're like the Jim Crockett promotions <laughs> of of the tabletop gaming world. Um, uh, but there's that. I uh, talked about the conventions. Um, you know, you could uh, you could listen to the old Quid Pro Roll, our sister podcast, an actual play uh, adventure, wherein I play an over the hill professional wrestler who is uh, multi classed out the wazoo, currently. 
and I play a uh, retired-ish criminal rogue who is trying to find the straight and narrow once again after losing his previous gang and uh, finding out recently that he is a noble's son. Yep, and then, as always, um, if you want to uh, help us, the best way to support this podcast is to telephone, telegraph, tell a friend about the Goblins and Growlers podcast. Um, you know, you could probably, there are probably some other methods of communication you could use as well. Um, you know, you could text it. Um, you could hire a skywriter, things like that. Have it, have Carrier the sky, pigeons, have the skywriter, uh, do the Q, like do the QR code in the sky. Oh God, that sounds so complex. Yeah, I bet it would be. I was, I was going to say, uh, chalk drawings. Like you could do chalk drawings to promote the podcast on sidewalks near you. There you go. If you know Banksy, get them involved in the situation. Ooh. I bet they could make a really nice QR code for us. You know, the one thing I know about Banksy is that they love, love doing sponsored promotional work. Oh, yeah. Just love it. Well, we're not we're not <laughs> giving them any money. We're just asking for a favor. <laughs> artist to artist. Yeah, artist to artist. Yeah. Banksy, if you wanna if you wanna give us a little shout out, that'd be neat. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, we look forward uh, to hopefully getting some responses and questions from everybody. But uh, other than that, I guess we will chat at you in uh, a couple of weeks. Sounds good to me. Bye, y'all. like what you hear consider subscribing and giving us a review over on apple podcasts especially early in the feed subscriptions and reviews are super helpful for bringing new listeners our way thank you